Welcome back, everybody. When I'm researching stocks, I always feel like there's a story being told that I'm trying to understand. And a lot of that comes from the things that I've learned by reading Peter Lynch over the years, because he stressed a lot about retail investors buying what they know and understanding the story of the stocks that they've bought. So in today's video, we're going to go through each one of the stocks in my portfolio, see how it matched up to my own personal strategy for picking stocks, or if it didn't, and talk through what the high-level story is for each one and what I'm watching going forward. But the idea being that listening to me go through this process for my stocks may help you as you think about yours. Now, I just want to let you know, I feel like I'm getting sick or something, so if I sound weird, I apologize, but we're going to power through it. All right, so let's dive in, and we're going to go in order from my largest holding to my smallest. So first up, United Health Group. Now, United Health Group is a diversified healthcare company consisting of multiple segments that provide health benefits plans and services, care delivery and management, health financial services, software and consulting, and pharmacy care services and programs. Now, UNH is 14.64% of my portfolio, and if we take a look at how UNH did in 2023 versus the S&P 500, we see that United Health returned a little over 3% compared to the S&P 500's over 26%. Now, in my case, I added it to my portfolio in June of last year, so if we compare how it's performed since I added it, it's a little bit more respectable, with United Health returning just under 8% and the S&P 500 being over 12%. And as you can see, it had actually been outpacing the S&P during that time, except for this recent downturn. Now, when we take a look at how United Health matches up against my investment strategy, you can see that technically it doesn't meet one of my criteria, mainly because it's considered a narrow moat business as opposed to a wide moat business. This is where our own judgment comes into play. I use Morningstar's moat category as my guide, and they categorize it as a narrow moat because they view the U.S. health insurance and pharmacy benefits managers as having, quote, unclear economic profitability outside of a 10-year period. And that's mainly due to regulatory concerns. And I think that's fair. That's actually my biggest risk or concern that I have with the stock as well. But the reason that I added United Health to my portfolio is because they've completely knocked the rest of the criteria out of the park. So my story for United Health is that they're a best-in-class provider in an important industry. They've been a cash flow and dividend growth machine, and it's led to them outperforming the S&P 500. But they're in an industry with increasing costs, high regulatory risk, and political pressure, which could ultimately limit their growth or profitability. So here's what I'll be monitoring from United Health going forward. How is their cash flow and dividend growth? Is it slowing down? Is it accelerating? What's the trend of their margins? Are they compressing due to costs rising, or are the revenues able to keep up? And then lastly, are there any regulatory changes that could limit their profitability in the future? And I'm actually going to do a deeper dive on United Health to talk a little bit about the challenges we deal with anytime that we buy and hold individual stocks with some examples of things that I've been through with that one. But that's going to be for a future video. For now, let's get to the next one, which is McDonald's. Now, McDonald's probably doesn't need much of an introduction, but it's the largest restaurant chain in the world by market cap. And in terms of portfolio weight, McDonald's is just over 14% of my portfolio. And if we take a look at how they did in 2023 versus the S&P 500, McDonald's returned 14.71% compared to the S&P 500's over 26%. Now, in my case, McDonald's was the first stock that I added to this portfolio on December 8th, 2022. And since that time, it's returned 9.32% compared to the S&P 500's 25.66%. So a massive outperformance by the S&P, which 
is to be expected with 2023 being a down year for McDonald's. Now, in terms of how McDonald's matches up against my criteria, it's pretty much yeses across the board because McDonald's has outperformed. They obviously have a wide moat and they have growing cash flow. Plus, their dividend growth is outpacing inflation. And I've talked about many times that I actually have a personal history with McDonald's is one of the reasons why I love the company so much. Now, that in itself is not a reason to invest in something, but personally, I think it's a bonus anytime you have that as well. So my story for McDonald's is that they're one of the most valuable brands in the world. And even though people think they're just a boring burger company, they're actually a pretty innovative pseudo real estate company with a high margin franchise business model. And that's helped them outpace the market for decades. And I view them as a really good balance of stability with growth, as well as capital appreciation with a dividend. So in terms of what I actually monitor for McDonald's, it's is their growth story intact, which means our system-wide sales continuing to increase, are more sales going through their higher margin channels like their mobile app, and then now, how will Cosmics fit into their growth strategy and how successful will it be? And then outside of just sales growth, is their dividend growth continuing to outpace inflation? Now, McDonald's is an easier one for me because it's one of the three companies, along with Visa and Apple, that I have the most conviction about in my portfolio. So even if McDonald's has a bad quarter or a bad year, it's likely not going to worry me and I'll just ride it out unless something fundamentally changes with their business. Let's get to the next one. And speaking of, it's Visa. Now, Visa is a global payments technology company processing over $15 trillion worth of transactions every year. Visa makes up 12.47% of my portfolio, and if we take a look at how they did in 2023 versus S&P 500, Visa was just about in line, returning 26.53% compared to the S&P 500's 26.79%. Now, I started adding Visa to my portfolio on August 28th of last year, and since that time, Visa's returned 10.12% in terms of total return compared to the S&P 500's 11.03%. So let's take a look at how Visa matches up against my personal strategy. And honestly, Visa in many ways is like the prototypical business for what I'm looking for. And when I analyzed them last year, everything was just off the charts. Because Visa has an extremely wide moat, basically being a duopoly with MasterCard. They have revenue and cash flow growth, insane margins, and mid-double-digit dividend growth. So yeah, absolutely, they're a fit. Now, my actual story with Visa, and I touched on some of it already, but they're a global payments company with revenues that are still growing in the double digits. They have ridiculous margins and are converting close to 50% of that revenue to cash flow. Their revenue is inflation-proof, and they don't take credit risk for their cards. Plus, they basically have no debt. And their dividend growth has consistently been over 15%. I mean, this is an amazing business. In terms of the things that I monitor for Visa, is their revenue growth and margin story still intact? Is their dividend growth story still intact? What potential regulatory impacts could fundamentally change their business or profit model? And I've talked about some of those things in the past, but to me, regulatory risks are really the hardest to anticipate. Now, the other part that I just wanted to touch on with Visa is price and valuation, because it's one of those businesses that's consistently, quote unquote, overvalued and trading at a high multiple. And it's just something to watch out for and something that I look for just so I can add to my position anytime that it looks attractive. Okay, let's go to the next one, which is Apple. Now, Apple's a technology company, obviously the maker of the iPhone, the iPad, Mac, and Apple Watch, as well as a whole ecosystem of software and services. 
Now, Apple makes up over 11% of my portfolio. And if we take a look at how they did in 2023 versus the S&P 500, Apple doubled the S&P 500 with a total return of 54.80%. Now, I actually added Apple on July 26, 2023, which was at the top because I did a whole video on it. So obviously, its performance since then has lagged the S&P 500 at just under negative 1% versus the 7.96% of the index. In terms of if Apple meets my strategy criteria, the answer is definitely yes. I'd like to see their dividend growth rate improve a little bit, which I think it will. But overall, Apple's a company that is making an obscene amount of cash flow and have rewarded shareholders through buybacks even more so than dividends. Now, my story with Apple is that they're a premium technology provider with products that people love and want to own. In the U.S., Apple is dominant with a smartphone market share of over 50% and a continuously growing install base, which has led to an increase in subscription services revenue, which is higher margin and good for their long-term business. Now, Apple's dedication to creating their own silicon has not only made their devices some of the best available, but in my opinion, it gives them an advantage in being able to deploy on-device AI features in the future. Now, Apple has had slowing revenue growth, which has been widely talked about, but part of that was pull-forward demand from 2021, as well as device update timelines getting longer, because ultimately the devices are that good now. So for Apple, the things that I'm monitoring are revenue growth, obviously in iPhones, which is their major source right now, but also in services and how that revenue mix changes over time. Is the overall install base continuing to grow? Plus, Apple's market share outside of the U.S. Can they continue growing in other economies like China, which is a great example where with all the concerns about Apple's dependence and position there in 2023, they ended up taking the top spot based on smartphone shipments for the first time ever. And then also with Apple, how their capital allocation strategy will evolve over time. They're making $80 billion in free cash flow. Are they going to continue to buy back shares at the rate that they have been? Or are they going to start increasing their dividend? And lastly, keeping up with any regulatory, antitrust, anti-monopoly lawsuits, just like every big tech company, Apple's dealing with those as well. All right, so next up is Valero. Valero is an energy company mostly involved in manufacturing transportation fuels, petrochemical products, and power. And they're the largest global independent petroleum refiner. Now, Valero makes up over 10% of my portfolio, and if we take a look at how they did in 2023 versus the S&P 500, Valero underperformed the market by quite a bit at 11.88% in total return. Now, I started adding Valero to my portfolio on April 27th, and since that time, it has returned 23.37% versus the S&P 500's 19.7%. Now, Valero is one of my holdings that doesn't actually meet my strategy criteria because they're technically a narrow moat business and their dividend growth, at least as of late, hasn't been as high as I'd like it to be. But in my analysis, I felt that refineries are something that the U.S. likely won't build more of. And I felt that their dividend growth would get back to pre-pandemic levels, which were in the double digits. Plus, Valero has been using their cash flow to aggressively buy back shares anyway. So my story for Valero is that they're a strong cash flow generator with increasing efficiency and margins. They have good capital allocation and a great balance sheet, and they're at historically low valuation levels. Now, the long-term growth prospects for Valero are questionable or at best TBD, and the stock trades with a lot of volatility due to its correlation with gas prices. So the things that I monitor with Valero is, is the cash flow generation still strong? Is the distribution of that cash to shareholders in the form of dividends and or share buybacks still growing? 
And from a valuation perspective, is it still at attractive levels? Now, you might be wondering a little bit on that one, but because the future growth prospects for Valero, due to the nature of the industry that it's in, are a little bit of a question mark, I'll look at valuation for that company a little bit harder than others. And if it gets to a point to where it's trading at a higher than normal multiple, I may look to trim or sell. Okay, let's get to the next one. American Express. Now, American Express is a financial services company specializing in charge and credit card products, a payments network, general banking, as well as travel and lifestyle services. American Express makes up 7.81% of my portfolio, and if we take a look at how they did in 2023 versus the S&P 500, American Express actually beat the S&P 500 for the year, returning 29.22%. I started adding American Express to my portfolio on May 15th last year, and since that time, it's returned 35.74% versus the S&P 500's 19.55%. Now, Amex met all of my criteria, but the one that was probably the closest was outperforming the S&P 500 because they'd been underperforming it on the 5 and 10 year time horizons. But the rest of the business looked really good to me, and outperformance versus the market is really a tricky thing because it really depends on the entry that you buy at, as opposed to just some arbitrary price that it was at on January 1st. But their dividend growth has also been really strong, and they just announced a 17% increase last week. So in terms of my story for Amex, they have an interesting mix in their business model where they're a bank, but also a card network. Now, Amex also has an extremely valuable brand and a very high credit customer base, which means that their risk level is lower than other card issuers out there. Now, they do tend to have premium financial products that have high annual fees, so a significant downturn in income or credit with their base would be a risk. And then lastly, another risk would be any regulatory changes that impact their profitability, like potentially Basel III Endgame, which we've talked about before. So the things that I'm monitoring with Amex is are they hitting their revenue growth targets? And then also, what are their delinquency and charge-off rates, both versus their peers and their own history? Because this gives us an idea of how much risk for loss there is and if their customer base is changing from a quality perspective. Then obviously, I want to monitor their continued dividend growth story and any regulatory changes that could impact their profitability. All right, next up is Amazon. Now, Amazon runs the largest e-commerce site in the world with businesses that span global retail, distribution and delivery, platforms and services, and cloud infrastructure. Amazon makes up over 6% of my portfolio, and if we take a look at how they did in 2023, Amazon almost tripled the return of the S&P 500 at over 77%. And as great as that is, I just added Amazon to my portfolio two weeks ago on January 16, 2024. So since that time, Amazon has returned at 3.89% versus the S&P 500's 2.65%. So obviously, I'm ready to declare victory on that one. Nobody talk about it anymore. It's done, and I won, and of course, I'm kidding. It's two weeks. It means nothing. In terms of strategy fit, Amazon really crushes everything except for one critical distinction. They don't pay a dividend. Now, obviously, a company having a dividend is about building a growing income stream, but it also signals a level of maturity as it relates to cash flow generation and product market fit. So while Amazon doesn't pay a dividend, I think it's obvious that they reached that level of maturity quite a while ago. Plus, they knock every other measure out of the park. And I think it's realistic to think that in 10 to 15 years, they could adopt paying a dividend as part of a normal capital allocation strategy. But we'll just have to see. Now, my story for Amazon is that they have multiple wide modes in growing industries. They're a market leader in e-commerce and cloud, and they have the fastest growing advertising platform in big tech. 
They're a logistics and distribution leader, but they also have regulatory and antitrust concerns that they're dealing with, not to mention labor and union issues that can be a bit unpredictable. And lastly, they're in what's going to be an extremely competitive race in cloud and AI. So the things that I monitor for Amazon are their overall revenue growth story, the growth of higher margin segments like advertising, subscriptions, third-party sellers, and of course, AWS. Their capital expenditures and stock-based compensation spend, especially as it relates to percentage of cash flow. Their profit margin growth in their retail segment, and then any regulatory, antitrust, or labor issue updates. All right, bear with me. We only have a few more to go. And next up is Hershey. Now, Hershey is a global confectionery leader that manufactures and sells chocolates, sweets, mints, and other snacks. They are the largest producer of quality chocolate in North America. Now, Hershey makes up over 5.5% of my portfolio, and if we take a look at how Hershey did in 2023 versus the S&P 500, it was a total massacre with Hershey returning a negative 16%. And the crazy part was Hershey was actually outpacing the S&P in May of last year and at an all-time high. Then it just tanked for the rest of the year. Now, I started adding Hershey to my portfolio on October 12th, and since that time, it's returned just under 2% versus the S&P 500's 12.93%. So in terms of how Hershey meets my criteria, it's yeses across the board. But the things that really stood out to me was the consistency of their revenue and cash flow growth and their strong dividend growth history, which actually seems to be accelerating. But I think Hershey is a great example of how we can't just look at past data of what a company used to do and say, oh, wow, they're really cheap now. Because if you look at Hershey's recent revenue growth, it's over 10%. But if you compare that to their five-year averages, which are lower, and then more importantly, their forecast for the future, it's only 3 to 4%. And now if you look at the impact of the cost of rising cocoa and sugar, you can see that Just expecting it to go back to all-time highs because it dropped really makes no sense. And that doesn't mean that I'm down on Hershey. I mean, obviously, I hold it in my portfolio, and I had it as one of my top four picks for 2024. But it was more about operational efficiencies, the potential for buybacks, and some reversion to the mean from a price perspective as opposed to increasing revenue growth. So when we talk about my story for Hershey, they're a consistent performer with strong brands that give it pricing power with the potential opportunity for growth with salty snacks and maybe even international. They have good margins and cash flow generation compared to their peers, and they've invested in more capacity that should increase their efficiency going forward. But they have input costs that are rising and not clear on when they're going to come down, plus the current sentiment and expectations around the company are pretty low. So in terms of what I'm monitoring for Hershey, overall net sales or revenue growth, are they meeting or exceeding expectations? Is cash flow growth still steady? Are margins staying above their peers or even improving? And is their dividend growth story intact? Okay, next up is Caterpillar. Now, Caterpillar is a manufacturer of construction and mining equipment, engines, turbines, and locomotives in the United States and internationally. They also provide support and financial services related to their products. Now, Caterpillar makes up over 4.5% of my portfolio, and if we take a look at how they did in 2023, they were just about in line with the S&P 500, returning 26.31%. Now, I added Caterpillar to my portfolio at the end of the year on November 21st, and since that time, they've returned 20.61% versus the S&P 500's 8.04%. Now, in terms of how it fits my strategy, Caterpillar has yeses across the board. Now, their business is cyclical, but overall, the growth has been there, especially over the past six to seven years. So my story on Caterpillar is that they have strong revenue and free cash flow growth. 
a wide moat business with geographic and industry diversity. They have margins that are increasing, but their revenues are cyclical, so that presents an additional risk, especially with rising political and economic uncertainty across the globe, because that makes their outlook a little bit harder to predict because they're dependent on government and corporate investment in building infrastructure. Now, in terms of what I monitor for Caterpillar, is their revenue growth story intact? Are their margins continuing to improve? And is that cash flow growth story still strong? And then lastly, is their dividend growth continuing to outpace inflation? Okay, last but not least, Starbucks. Now, Starbucks is the largest coffee company in the world. They operate or license over 38,000 stores across the globe. Starbucks makes up 3.6% of my portfolio, and if we take a look at how they did in 2023, Starbucks was way down at negative 2.78% compared to the S&P's 26.79%. Now, I started adding Starbucks to my portfolio on August 28th of last year, and since that time, Starbucks has returned a negative 3.84% versus the S&P's 11.03%. Now, in terms of strategy, Starbucks met my criteria across the board, and what I've talked about the most with them is that their core business is excellent, even if they have some challenges in other areas right now. And I've used Starbucks as an example of how we should judge a company based on their own guidance and expectations that they give, as opposed to some headline or what an analyst says. And they've really done a good job over the past year of meeting those, even with some challenges that they had. In terms of close calls as it relates to the criteria, their dividend growth rate has been decelerating a bit, but still outpacing inflation. But it's something that I'll continue watching. So in terms of my story for Starbucks, Starbucks has one of the strongest brands in the world and pricing power. And they win with their combination of being an affordable luxury with a highly personalized product that leverages a best-in-class digital app and rewards program. Now, they have some ongoing challenges with labor issues going on and more debt on their balance sheet than I would like to see, but their core business is extremely strong to me. So in terms of what I monitor for Starbucks, overall sales growth, including comparable store sales, are they meeting their expectations there? Is their international growth story intact, especially in China and India? Is their rewards program active member growth still going strong? Is their dividend growth story still intact and above inflation? And have there been any resolutions or escalations with their labor issues? So as you can tell as we went through these, understanding what your goals are and knowing what criteria you're looking for in a company is critical. Otherwise, with every up and down price movement in the market, you're left to question yourself as to if you're right or wrong or if it's time to buy or sell. And when it comes to how much analysis we should do or how deep to go into our research, that's going to be a personal choice. Your story can be as long and detailed as you want it to be, depending on your process. And you all see when I do a full stock analysis video, a lot of those videos are like 20 minutes long. That doesn't mean that you have to go to that level if that's not your preference though. Even just having a handful of bullet points on a couple slides like I'm sharing in this video is a good start to making sure you have a plan for each of your stocks. Now, at least for me, having a clear plan and understanding what changes I'm looking for for each company really helps me have more confidence in what I'm doing. So let me know if you thought this video was helpful or not. There's a lot of information, it's kind of long, but I feel like going through specific examples and actually watching what someone is thinking with their own stocks just helps as you're trying to manage your portfolio. But let me know down in the comments below. Now, if you guys wanna see which four stocks in my portfolio I think have the best chance to perform in 2024, click on this video right here. Hope you guys have a great day out there. Financial independence is true freedom, so keep building and stacking wins, and I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.